Well, good morning for those who don't know me, because I do have a few faces in the uh, room that are new. I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, we're just currently going through a book in the Bible. And uh, we're currently in Romans chapter 6. So I invite you to turn there with me. And we're midway. And I thought I'd finish it off today, but that's not the case. But straight away, I want to start at verse 15, which is a a similar question to verse 1. So if you look in your Bibles, can just compare these kinds of questions. And I'm, I'm convinced these questions are what Paul was being asked by, particularly the Jews, I think, because when, as you went from place to place ministering, um, I think these questions are uh, brought up by the Jews. Um, that's just a personal opinion of mine, because when it, whenever he went to a new place, he always went to the synagogue. Okay, remember, he was a Jew. He's been converted, um, even though the Jewish is not just a religion, it's, it's a culture, really. So we have Jews for Jesus. I believe you know Jews can be... Um, saved and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. But those who don't, I don't believe um, they are saved. Um, But uh, these are the questions that Paul was getting. Remember, Paul had not visited Rome yet. So he's writing a letter to to the Romans in the hope that he would visit them. And he gives hints in his letter. I think we've covered the hints. Um, But he hasn't visited them. And so these questions, we know, are from places that he has visited in the past. And the question comes up, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And I chose the um, King James Version there, God forbid, which is an old way of saying, um, no way, It, it can't be. Perish the thought is relatively newer but still old to us. Uh, no offense to those who still use that term, but it's no way, Jose. That's pretty modern. Uh, it can't be. It can't be. Why can't it be? That's the question that we want to answer. Why can't it be? And as we've, if you've been on this journey with us, well, that answer has been <laughs> twisted and and just um, gone out of context and it's, it answers that we come up contradict other verses of scripture and we're just trying to see what Paul says. But even before we go any further, um, we have to make sure that we are all on the same page. And that is, we, we need to understand, every single one of us needs to understand what this question is asking. What does it actually mean to be under the law? Not under the law, but under grace, sorry. Thank you for looking at me weirdly. <laughs> so under the law versus under grace, what does that actually mean? And so it's very important to distinguish between the two. And one way we can do that is to use illustrations in, um, or examples of Paul using those terms in his letters to other churches. And one such church that he does that is uh, to the church at Galatia. So in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you don't have to, but it's here on the screen. I'm using the English Standard Version. Um, But verses uh, around 4 to 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, um, which is just a a fancy fancy way of saying, you know, when the appointed time had come, when when God decided, hey, this is the time, it's going to come. Well, what happened at that time? Well, God sent forth his Son. So obviously... 
when Jesus came into this world, it was planned. And I always like to encourage you, how was it planned? Just look at the history of what was happening at that time, just before everything that happened, and it just makes sense of why, um, with all these different um, empires in power, that it came to, you know, why Jesus didn't, um, why God didn't choose, you know, maybe 200 years before that or 300 years before it. It's just interesting to see the history of what was happening in the world and it makes sense of why God um, chose that time. But he was born of a woman. We know that. Uh, he's actually born of a virgin. He had to be. But look at that. Next, next phrase. Born under the law. He was born under the law. And so to a, to, a, to a person out there, by the way, who's a non-Christian who you're witnessing to, you would have to explain this. What, do, what in the world does that mean? Before I do, notice what he's there to do. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, first of all, Jesus was born under the law. The law. Was he under the law himself? Well, yes, but did he have to struggle? And I've got to word this very carefully. Did he... Now, I'm going to pause that moment, pause that thought, and come back to it. What I want to say about that is, when we read the Gospels, when we read the Gospels, it's very important that we discern as believers, whether what Jesus is saying to the audience at that time is related to people being under the law or under grace. I'll give you one such example is Jesus says to his audience, Matthew chapter 5 um, and 6, 7, if you read those chapters, there's some very confronting language, very confronting instructions, and one such confront confrontation is Remember, if, if, if your eye causes you to sin, then pluck it out. Right? If your hand causes you to sin, chop it off. Now, to a person who's, I say, black and white, who just takes things literally, um, well, I, I need to follow Jesus' commands, so <laughs> we have some blind people. No, just joking. Okay? I don't think people have taken that literally, but, but we have to discern. Why is he saying that? He's saying that to people who are under the law, and to sum it up in a nutshell, into one sentence, I believe he's saying it, it's because in order to fulfill the requirements of those who are under the law, well, you have to do absolutely everything that is in the law, which we're going to get into in the next chapter, chapter 5 of Galatians, which I'll quickly reference soon. And he was saying, well, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to do that. And so he uses some language to get these thoughts across to his audience, particularly the Jews, because they were not just born under the law, but they lived by the law. And we've gone through some examples real-life illustrations of what Jews believe when it comes to the law. So I highly um, suggest that you look those up on Spotify or, or whatever podcast we're on 
and look at those messages when uh, we've, we've seen the, the first few chapters of Romans. But he's redeeming those who are under the law. That's his job. That's his purpose, to redeem those who are under the law. So what does this under the law mean? Well, Galatians chapter 5 gives us some insight. Galatians chapter 5 starts off by saying, Listen, listen, I, Paul, am telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So stop there. There were people in Galatia that believed, okay, up here, that in order to be saved, you had to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, as Paul was teaching them. But they had to add something. But, they said. And this is what they were preaching. This is what we call the Judaizers that Paul references. They were preaching, yes, but you also have to be circumcised to obey that one commandment under the law that's really important. So important that, remember, Abraham's down there at the gates of Hades. He's there at the gates of hell right now. And he's checking to see if you're circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, well, he just has permission to let you in. But if you are circumcised, well, you're going to wait. You're going to go to a waiting place until you get to go to heaven. That's that's their belief. He's down there. Nevertheless, not with his Lord. But notice what he's saying. I'm telling you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, in other words, if you believe these Judaizers to say that in order to be right with God, you have to trust your Savior, but you also have to be circumcised. If you believe that, if you allow yourself to do that, well, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Christ will be of absolutely no benefit. So, to be under the law, it means that in order to be right with God, you have to obey each and every law. Each and every law, it says here. So once again, I testify to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the entire law. Now, scholars have calculated all of the entire law uh, commandments that have been under the law, and they come to 613. Right? Even Jesus himself knew that that would be impossible for a man to fulfill. Now, was God under the law? Yes. But did he break any of those 613 commands? No. He did not break anyone. He did not sin once. And that's what we have to believe in order for him to be the holy sacrifice which redeems us, which cleanses us from our sins. But for men who are not God, us, it is impossible. But in order to live by this command, in order to live by this rule that you have to do this on top of trusting Jesus Christ as your saviour, 
in order to be right with God. Well, in order to live by that, you can't pick and choose. You can't pick and choose what command or what law. It's either everything or nothing. You are obliged to obey the entire law. And that's why it's ridiculous how we have denominations that believe certain things where it says, you have to do this in order to be saved. It doesn't make sense. Because you're picking that commandment, plucking it out of the Bible and saying, that's mandatory. That's important. That's contrary to what Paul's saying. So if you know someone like that, refer him to Romans chapter 5. You who want to be justified by the law have cut yourselves off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that counts is what? Faith. Working through love. The only thing that saves us is faith. So what are some modern day laws? Well, in order to be right with God, you have to Get baptized. In order to be right with God, you have to, you have to participate in communion. Maybe each week. Um, you have to, oh, you have to worship Christ on a Saturday. If you do it on a Sunday, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're not right with God. There's all these modern day laws. We've added to it, right? And then so we've turned the Ten Commandments to Nine Commandments. In order to be right with God, you actually have to tithe. So important. Right? We can't pluck them out. And that's being under the law. So to sum it all up in one sentence, to be under the law means that in order to be right with God, you have to obey the law. Obviously, the opposite of under the law is under grace, and grace is unmerited favor. So we're right with God, not from what we do, but from what Christ has done for us. That's, we're under grace, yes? And it's got nothing to do with what our behavior. So we're not judged on our behavior. We're judged on our faith. Paul says some interesting stuff here, so I'm only going to choose a few verses because this is... This can be quite complex, and my job is to make it simple. Why do I want to make it simple? Well, firstly, I want to make it simple so you understand, but then so you can go out there and explain it to someone else. Now, verse 16. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? So this is just a, a, a fact. Whatever you choose to obey, that's what you become a slave of. Of. Um, you can be a slave to sin. So I've chosen a very modern day language here just to get this simple track, um, fact through. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Sin leads to death. And next time I preach on this, we're going to be talking about that Romans 6.23, which we usually use as a, an evangelistic verse. You know, the wages of sin is death. Um, but the gift of God is eternal life. So it's, it's opposite spectrums. Death, life. <laughs> that six, Romans 6.23 though, I, I think Paul's not talking about those 
who are non-believers. I don't think that's an evangelistic verse. It can be used as one because it makes sense. But I think when we're going to get into it more, and I think these verses gives us hints, it's referring to believers. Because we can still experience death. Not eternal death. We can't experience that. But there are certain parts of our life, if we choose to sin, we can experience death. And we're going to get into that next time. So whatever you choose to obey, you can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. But you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You, you actually um, are given a choice. All right? But, but, but thanks be to God, okay, thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, in other words, sin was your master, sin had domination of you, you had no control to get out of it, to escape it. Though you were slaves of sin, you became, now underline that phrase, obedient from the heart. You became obedient from the heart. Now there are certain versions that say you obeyed from the heart. But I decided to choose this one because I think we can get carried away that if we, if we have a season of our life where we disobey and then we obey and then we disobey and then we obey and then we disobey and then we obey, one can get carried away where we might think, oh, I'm a slave to sin then I'm not. I'm a slave to righteousness, then I'm not. I'm a slave to sin, then I'm not. And I, I go back and forth. I go back and forth in and out of Christ's favour, of God's um, um, unitedness. I, 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 in other words, my rightness with God goes back and forth, in and out. And we know that's not right because we're not justified of our behaviour. But it's very important to understand this, these words. We became obedient from the heart. What makes us obedient from the heart? Well, remember, our heart can be used synonymously with our spirit. The spirit is our innermost being, our innermost core that defines who we are. Now remember, we got into last week how some people use the word soul for this. But I think the soul that comes from the Greek word um, suke, in which we get the English word psychology, that's our makeup that defines our personality, um, our emotions, our, our will, and all that stuff. Okay? Our heart becomes obedient. Why? Because, well, what happened? Remember, God ripped out our old, wicked, deceitful, um, what's the other adjective they use? Desperate, oh, desperately wicked, that's the desperately, I forgot. He ripped that out and gave us a new heart. Now that new heart is what I believe Paul's referring to. We became obedient from the heart. How do we become obedient from the heart? 
because God's Spirit is immersed, is mixed in, is um, intoxicated, whatever word you want to use, baptized, okay, into ours. And therefore, we're mixed. That means that our heart, our spirit, corresponds, jives with what God wants, with God's spirit. And that's the only way we can become obedient is if God's spirit is immersed with ours. If God did not give us a new heart, okay, then we would still be hopeless. We would still be a sinner. We might, we might be forgiven, but that's just half the gospel. And that's sadly where people stop at the gospel. You want to be forgiven of your sins? Well, yeah. Wow, all you have to do is this, but after the forgiveness comes the new creation, the new life. He gives you the spirit in order to do what he wants you to do. We become obedient from the heart. Does that mean, though, which some people get carried away with, does that mean I constantly am going to obey him? The answer has to be no. We become obedient from the heart. So we're given a new heart. We're given an obedient heart that actually wants to do that actually is able to discern what God wants. It's to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, I actually couldn't find a version that I liked, actually, from this. Because that committed word, I like delivered. It's a, how did we get this? How did you get saved? Did you... Well, were you like me and did you hear something, a message, a, a form of teaching that was presented to you and gave you the opportunity to respond? You know, Jesus did this for you. You, you are a sinner. Um, you are in need of forgiveness. Did you know Jesus died on the cross for you and he, he can give you a new life? Did you listen to something along those lines? What we call the gospel? Anyone not? This is the form of teaching that which we, we were delivered from. We were committed from it. This is what gave us that. So this form of teaching is you could say the gospel which you were delivered. That's the form of teaching. And we're going to finish on this verse for, for today. Having been freed from sin, this is interesting, you became slaves of righteousness. Notice how he uses the same word. Slaves, your, your, your word might mean servants or bond servants or some version of that. But the word, when you look at the Greek, is actually slave. So it's like we come from being a slave of sin to a slave of righteousness. Now, depending on your experience, on your education, on your views of slavery, this could really mess you up. This could mess someone up out there. What does it mean well, we're a slave of righteousness? And in order to fully understand that, we need to know what biblical slavery is. What actually is biblical slavery? 
Because how many people do you know that you've talked to and say, oh, I cannot, I cannot follow a God that condones slavery? All that slavery mentioned in the Bible? What kind of God do you serve? It's not love. But biblical slavery is this. We had people who were not well off, they were poor, and they, they wanted to be taken care of. And the way that they could be taken care of is to be like a servant to someone, to be a servant to a master. And what that servant did is that they, they, they came, uh, they, first of all, they uh, might have been appointed to a master, and that was only for a certain number of years. And then they had the choice. They had the choice to either continue their slavery with that person, continually continue their servanthood with that person, with that master, or do something else. And so if you wanted to voluntarily, that's the key word, voluntarily be a slave to a master, you actually had to do a, one important thing. You actually had to go to the, the town hall. You had to put your ear beside some piece of wood, and they actually had to um, stamp you. So they actually had to put a hole in your ear by smashing it with a with a with a, a, a stake or something, and that meant that I am with you as your slave. The master got to do it. That was the sign. They're voluntarily going into it. Did we voluntarily go into this relationship with Christ? Yeah. Once we made that decision, it means we no longer actually can get out of it. Lots of people disagree with that. But we can't get out of it. And if someone questions you, why can't we get out of it? Why can't we choose? Nah. Don't want anything more to do with you. Well, the answer is because we became obedient from the heart. We became obedient from the heart. Because God's Spirit is immersed in us, He just doesn't leave you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He just doesn't come back and forth. He will never deny you. Never forsake you. You are a new creation. So this begs the question, how can I know if I'm saved? So many people out there, Christians, wondering, am I saved? Am I saved? Paul confronts this. I always use this for young people because you wonder, hmm, they might have made a decision to follow Christ, but they're not living like it. So I always use this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, especially in the education sector, kids always obey when the teacher's around, right? And then when the teacher's gone, ah, do whatever. So same thing with the church of Philippi. As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out. Notice that word out. Not work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now that word fear, we're tempted to think, oh, scary fear. But that's not the fear that we're talking about. This fear is like a reverence, an awe 
okay, of knowing of who God is, not something to be afraid of, but to be highly regarded and respected, and trembling. Okay? Now, that, I think that's the reason we think that's scary, because we read trembling, oh, trembling. But again, it's to do with respect, not being afraid. Now, I usually stop there. I usually stop there in my, um, in my preaching. But verse 13 is so important because it jives with what Romans 6 is saying. Okay, so, so listen very carefully. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's God who works in you. So the question is, do I have an inclination to do what God wants me to do? Do I have an, a, a, a motivation? Do I have a willingness to glorify God in what I'm doing? Do I have the inclination to obey God because of what he's done for me, not to get something out of it. And so this is what I've been waiting for ever since Romans chapter 1, where if you look at those first few verses, it says, obedience from the heart. As a Christian, we, we still can get tempted to not obey from the heart in our minds. For instance, we can get twisted in our thinking and think, oh, if I do this, if I obey, then I'm going to get this out of it. If I obey, then I won't get in trouble with God. If I obey, then nothing will happen to me. What's the motivation for your obedience? And notice how you can only get this obedience, you can only have this obedience, this motivation, if God's Spirit is working in you. And so do you realize that this is just a question that only you can answer, right? And this is why, you know, some people, and it's possible, you know, someone going to church every single Sunday for their life, in their life, and they're not challenged with this kind of thinking. And so therefore they're under the impression that I've got to go to church in order to please God, to know that I'm right with God. Church attendance is one such thing. It's huge. But there's no actual, there's no actual faith. There's no actual receiving God's love. It's all working for it. Do you see the difference? Which goes back to Galatians chapter 5 and say, hey, are we deep down, when you are 100% honest with yourself, obeying God to be right with God, or are you obeying God because you are right with God? That's what you have to distinguish. And that's a good sign 
to know. Which begs the question, because we have an obedient heart, and if we choose to disobey God, well, that's what we're going to get into next time. So, my message of calling out, um, whatever you want to call it, what kind of slave do you want to be? You know, we're going to be a slave of one or the other. <laughs> One's not voluntary, one, one is. But are we, you're going to be a slave of sin or a slave of righteousness? Are you a slave of sin or are you a slave to righteousness? If you're a slave to righteousness, are you acting the way? And we'll get into that next time. I, I leave you with that question. And, uh, and, that, and that's, that's my um, understanding of what Paul is saying um, where we're getting to. Because, again, this, free, this freedom from sin, this freedom from sin, <laughs> it's just so, um, Having been freed from sin, remember, we have no longer sin can have be master over you. We do have that freedom but we can still choose to sin. We didn't have a choice before. <laughs> we have a choice now. And obviously God, I'll just say it again, just so we're all on the same page, God does not want us to sin. Okay, God wants us to be conformed into the image of Christ, but he does give us that freedom. But there's going to be a conflict inside because you are obedient from the heart. If you're obedient from the heart and you disobey your heart, you disobey that spirit of God because it's not jiving. There's going to be conflict. You're going to be miserable. Can you be forgiven and miserable? You betcha. You betcha. Can you lose your joy? Can you lose that peace? Just forfeit it for a little while? Oh, you betcha. And that's what we're going to get into next time. So I hope you stick with me and uh, continue this journey of what it actually means to be in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you firstly live inside us. You give us the power to do what you want us to do. But at the same time, you give us the freedom Lord, we're thankful that even though the many times that we do stuff up, we do fall into that temptation of the things that are not of you, rather the things that are of the devil, we are thankful that our unitedness, our security is never questioned. It's never taken away. And Father God, we know that's only by grace. That marvelous, infinite grace that even we have trouble understanding ourselves, comprehending it, just truly knowing how loving you are to each and every one of us. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for giving us a new heart because we know without it we would be lost. We would be hopeless. We would be just doing the same things I would be doing before we came to know you as our God, as our Saviour. Help us be the person that you want us to be, to do the things that you want us to do. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.